Welcome to the Barack Obama Approved World's Greatest Podcast. Hyphen Nation. You're dashing. Debonair. Deadly. Daring. Yeah, not deadly. Uh, host Kellen Conley. Uh, Morgantown weather report is cold. It is cold, cold, cold here in Morgantown. And it's wonderful. Super into that, by the way. It's currently 35 degrees here in Morgantown. Had a little snow. Y'all know how I feel about snow. I hate snow. So that was awesome. And looking at tomorrow's weather, which will actually be late for y'all because uh, you will hear this on Thursday. Looking at tomorrow's weather, or maybe not, because my phone doesn't want to work. It's probably going to be cold. <laughs> Tomorrow's weather, snow showers. Awesome. Looking forward to being out in that. How's everybody doing today, though, man? I can tell you right now I'm tired. I'm still mad that I'm missing last Thursday's episode. Trying to get this done. Trying to close out the year strong. Trying to plan things. I was supposed to talk to Marcus on Sunday. And then I fell asleep. So that didn't happen. I still got to talk to Marcus, trying to coordinate things with him for this month, because he's going to be on a few times. I hope y'all enjoyed the devil, the a devil. Hope y'all enjoyed the Devil Wears Prada with Angel. That was a lot of fun to record. Hope y'all enjoyed the conversation with my dad. But this time, it's just little old me, so you're just gonna have to deal with it. I'm sorry. <laughs> I kid, I kid, but uh. Hyphen Nation is brought to you by Hyphen Podcast Group, Morgantown, West Virginia-based podcast collective, bringing great podcasts to the people, hyphenpodcastgroup.com, and by Mark Robb, written by the aforementioned Marcus Show and Mad Love Robinson, the Mark Robb. wordpress.com. Again, that's the M-A-R-C-R-O-B.wordpress.com. Marcus writes prolific prose all over that website, so make sure you check it out. He's probably going to be releasing his Game of Thrones piece he's been talking about for months and maybe two more pieces before the year is out. So keep your eye on that space. Again, that's the Mark the that's the markrob.wordpress.com. The M-A-R-C-R-O-B.wordpress.com. So first topic. Let's just get right to it, man. I found out that uh a beloved comic. Uh, artist passed away recently. Um, I'm just gonna hop on the newsarama here. Tom Lyle dies at age 66, and in October, Lyle underwent surgery to remove a blood clot from his brain following an aneurysm and resulting medically induced coma. And then on November the 19th, he passed away. Now, if you don't know who Tom Lyle is, man, Tom Lyle did a lot of stuff that meant a whole bunch to me, okay? So, prior to Tim Drake, who I still claim is the best Robin, prior to Tim Drake getting his own uh, series in 1993, I believe, because he got it right in the smack dab of a... not Nightfall, but it was uh, uh, what what came after Nightfall? There's Nightfall, 
And then there's Night Quest, Night Quest. Um, there was three Robin miniseries starring Tim Drake. There was the first Robin, there's Robin 2, Joker's Wild, and Robin 3, I believe, was called Cry for the Huntress. The Huntress, I think it was called. Um, I was lucky enough to come across some of the Joker's Wild stuff of his, of Tom Lyle's, and all three of those series are excellent. Um, I don't know much about stream, about reading DC comics these days, but if you happen to run across any of the Tom Lyle um, Robin miniseries, please take the time to read them. But the thing that I knew Tom Lyle for was he came on board Objective List Spider-Man in 1993, I believe it was. And he came on that book when the book had no guidance at all. Yeah, 93, Lyle started working for Marvel Comics as Penciler with Spider-Man. Um, like, Objectivalist Spider-Man was essentially launched for as a Todd McFarlane vehicle. Because McFarlane had become such a hot property on Amazing Spider-Man in the late 80s that Marvel said, you know what, Todd? We're going to give you your own Spider-Man book, and you can write it and, re and read it. <laughs> you can write it and draw it. And so, to this day, the first issue of Spider-Man, uh, let's see, the first issue of Spider-Man is one of the best-selling comic books of all time. It's not bigger than X-Men 1 by Jim Lee and uh, Chris Claremont in 91, but in 1990... Spider-Man 1 was crazy. It says the series was a massive sales success with over 2.5 million copies printed. Um, so, let's see. I'm trying to see. This is the sales of the series. So, I don't know if that's the first issue. Yeah, I think they're trying to talk about, like, overall sales. But McFarlane was on the Spider-Man book from issue 1 until 16 in November 1991. And then, of course, he... He left to go create Image Comics with a whole bunch of other artists. Um, Eric Larson came on a book, and this was my second exposure. Yeah, my second exposure to Eric Larson. Because uh, he came on after McFarlane on Amazing Spider-Man. And so I remember that he wrote the Revenge of the Sinister Six arc. Or no, I don't think he wrote it. Oh, he did, yeah. Wrote and drew the six-issue story arc Revenge of the Sinister Six. Um which was super cool. I was a big fan of all that. Um, but, he, I mean, he, he was only on that book for until 23. And then ultimately what happened is they kind of rotated through uh, writers and artists and stuff like that until Spider-Man 44. Well, not even Spider-Man 44. Um, Lyle was actually on the book. Tom Lyle. Came on a book during Maximum Carnage. And Maximum Carnage, of course, was the epic Spider-Man um, crossover through all four Spider-Man books at the time, which was amazing, spectacular, web Spider-Man and ejectable Spider-Man. And Carnage got out of Ravencroft and had gathered up a gang of baddies and terrorized New York City. So Spider-Man loaded up a gang of uh, heroes and was fighting against them. Uh, it was Spider-Man issues 35 through 37. And the artist on those books was Tom Lyle. And I think that was the first um, 
my first uh, that was uh the first time that he was on the book so let me see spider-man 32 let's say 93 let me i just want to see what comes up here yeah so yeah 32 was not tom lau and then 33 was no it wasn't 33 either did i just mess up the numbering <laughs> hold on ah i screwed it all up Let's go with 35. I just said the number, and then I forgot. That's what I get for not opening on the new tab. There it is. Yeah, 35. I think I've read all three of these Spider-Man books. Because I had 35, 36. Um, yeah, 36 was the issue where Venom's blowing the um, symbiote off of uh, Carnage with the sonic gun. Just to clarify, Tom Lau was on Spider-Man with 35, 36, and 37. The three parts of Maximum Carnage um, that took place in the objective of spider-man books it was part 12 part 8 and part 4 i had all of those i think i got them from food line at the time and i was just absolutely impressed by what he was doing on those books i thought his venom looked kind of different from anybody else's at the time his carnage was definitely menacing i mean bagley was obviously the top but uh i thought what Lyle was doing over there was pretty cool then he came off the book for a little while but then he was established as the permanent permanent guy with uh Spider-Man number 44, which honestly is one of my favorite comic books of Spider-Man's. It's one of those low-key great solo stories because it's just Spider-Man going out and leaving MJ in bed and beating up the baddies. He comes home and essentially the whole reason he was going out, it was uh, Uncle Ben's birthday. And so he went out to fight crime and remember his uncle. And it's a really good issue. So again, if you can track down Spider-Man 44, from um, 1994. It's a really good issue. Now, Howard Mackey was writing the book then, so there's that. And I didn't read a lot of the other issues going on at the time. But I was just always really impressed by Tom Lyle. Look, I don't have much time, all right? So let me just say something real quick. My name is EG, and I am the host of two shows that are part of the Hyphen Podcast Group. The first show is called Catch the Show. It's a show where I talk about music-related news and pop culture, upcoming tours that you may want to catch shows of, and I tell you about a show that I call because it's the number one concert review podcast in the world, and I've reviewed shows from Beyonce to Kendrick Lamar to even the Backstreet Boys. So yeah, that's Catch the Show. The other show is called The Underground Monster. Slightly different kind of show, but still music-related. It's where I cover basically underground independent hip-hop, horrorcore, and the juggalo culture. So yeah, if you're interested in either one, go to hyphenpodcastgroup.com and or go to your favorite podcast platform and just search for them and hit that subscribe button, okay? Got that? Cool. Now let's get you back to the show you were originally listening to. Tom Lyle's contribution to the Spider titles was kind of welcome for me because I used to just get Spectacular Spider-Man. So my main um, exposure was Sal Buscema. So that was like the Spider-Man the Spider-Man artist I saw the most. And then when I got Amazing, I saw how great Mark Bagley was. So Bagley was definitely number one. And then Sal was right there below him. Uh, Alex Saviak um, was over on web at the time, 
And I think he's still drawing the Spider-Man comic strip today. Um, let me just take a look. But I was never a huge fan of his art. I don't know what it was. And he was on web for a long time. Uh, let me let me just check. Let's go to the Wikipedia. Yeah, he was on web from seven years from issue 35 to 116. The longest run of a single artist on that series. And then since 1997, Saviuk has drawn the Amazing Spider-Man Sunday newspaper comic strip. Written by Stan Lee and inked by Joe Sinat. Starting in 03, he has inked the Daily Spider-Man strip penciled by Lee's brother Larry Lieber. After Lieber retired from the Daily Strip in September 2018, Saviok took over as penciler as well and stayed on until the cancellation of the strip in March 2019. Yeah, so they actually don't even have the strip anymore. Um, I, that's interesting. Oh, wow. Shout out to Brad Douglas. Uh, they have a, a link here for Spider for uh, Brad Douglas, who runs uh, Spider-Man Crawl Space. He's uh, on Wikipedia. You made it, Brad. Shout out to you, my friend. But Lyle Spider-Man was just so quirky. Like, the way he would draw Spidey even perched, or the way he would punch people. And he did this with Robin, too. But Robin wasn't... Obviously, Robin wouldn't cling to the side of buildings. Like... He'd be swinging from from grappling hooks and things like that. But just the, the way that he drew Spider-Man just was always something that um, was cool to me because he, he would draw Spidey in a variety of ways. And then he also he drew one of the... Um, not to say that he was ever lacking in anybody else's, uh, the four books, lacking in the muscle department, but... Spite like Saviak Spidey, say or not Saviak, Tom Lyle Spidey was built like a brick shit house. I'm just gonna say it, man. Like he he literally looked like he could run through a wall, and then he did cool tricks with the. I, I don't know if this is so much him, but I would imagine it was him because he would always have some kind of light shining off of Spidey. So there would be parts of Spider-Man's costume where you couldn't see web; you would just see a reflection on his costume. So it was almost like he was wearing a metallic kind of suit i always thought that was pretty cool too um i mean at, at times it got a little annoying but i mean it, it really wasn't that bad I, I i really just always enjoyed his artwork and then i saw it and when i say i saw it i saw the scarlet spider costume for the first time and if my memory doesn't fail me, because I gotten out of the spider book, so I missed uh well, power and responsibility. Um I came in on the Exile Returns was the first images of the Scarlet Spider suit I had actually seen. And ironically enough, the images are coming up right here. I wanna say it was Possibly Spider-Man issue number 52, The Exile Returns part 2 of 4, and Venom is trying to choke out Ben Raleigh in the Scarlet Spider suit. And 
the way that Tom Lyle draws this suit, like he created the Scarlet Spider suit. I will say that hands down next to the OG Spider-Man suit, even more than symbiote, you're the black costume. I love that Scarlet Spider suit, and I always have. And just just from the hoodie down to the bodysuit to the the um anklet, um the little um storage storage packs on uh Ben's ankles where I guess we keep web fluid and his different weapons because he had impact webbing and stingers and everything like that. He had a whole bunch of stuff um, that I used to keep on deck, man. And just, just, there would literally be hours where I would just stare at his Scarlet Spider because he, like him and Mark Bagley are the ones who tried to design it. And Bagley had some ideas, and um, and then Law had some ideas. They had everything in this little, it was like this little paper book. I don't, I don't remember, maybe it was about the Clone Saga or something. Somehow I had it years ago. And it had all their designs for everything that they had done to create this Scarlet Spider costume. And right inside of Tom Law's was... Here, here's, here it is. Early Scarlet Spider sketches by Tom Lyle, Mark ba and Bagley. And, yeah, he didn't... They they had essentially combined some of their designs in order to come up with what he wanted the Scarlet Spider. But that blue hoodie with that belt with the extra cartridges and those web shooters with the cartridges around the wrist, man. Like, it was so 90s. I, I felt it was very 90s, but at the same time, it, it's an iconic costume, man. And then for the first time that Ben gets to wear it out, really, um, he faces Venom in it. And he just looks badass, man. And even the way that I think Mackie was still writing the books then. Even the way that Mackie used to write Ben, because when Ben first showed up in Skull Spider, he was always like, I'm the fake, I'm the fake, I don't deserve to be here. Here, let me let me see if I can find some dialogue. And it's just his thought bubbles here. And exhausted. Stomach killing me. Stitches might rip open. Can't worry about it. It's gonna tear through the webbing soon. Gotta be alert. Gotta be strong. I'm starting to believe I might actually be able to beat him. Got to let him wear himself out while I regain some strength. And this is when he has uh, Venom in the impact web. Before he puts the impact web between the symbiote and, and Eddie and literally separates them. It's going to have to be brutal. Venom will have it no other way. Still can't accept that Spider-Man made a deal with him. Has he changed so much since I received the memories? His memories, his values? Or is it me that who's changed? Well, and in about another minute I'll have a chance to see whether I've changed enough to defeat the likes of Venom. And, uh, and this, oh my God, like I'm looking at this page, man. And Ben is literally just swinging over the city in the rain. And he looks like a complete badass, man. My favorite Spider-Man suit next to the OG, man.
And then they had the bright idea to have... I don't know why they did it, but it was actually... um, You know who didn't do a bad um, Scarlet Spider, though? Stephen Butler over on Web of Spider-Man. Because he took over after Saviok, I believe. And it was actually Tombstone's the one who ripped the hoodie. And so, like, for the rest of the time Ben had the Scarlet Spider suit, the um, hoodie would uh, be torn and never have the hood on it again until uh, more recent years when Ben came back and all that. I don't know what happened. <laughs> I'm not up on my game. I'm sorry. But Tom Lyle gave us a Scarlet Spider costume. And he gave me a lot of joy as a child. And it's really sad that uh, he that he passed away at such a young age. And, uh, I mean, 66 is relatively young, man. But, you know, I, I just wanted to take the time to talk about him because um, I really did enjoy his work. And I feel like he deserves to have a little bit of light shown on him. I'm sorry that it took this for it to happen. But, uh, yeah, R.I.P. Tom Lyle, man. All the best. Next topic. Full disclosure. First part of this podcast was recorded days ago. I've I've been exhausted. Let's just be real. I got a lot going on at work, and it's literally taking all my energy at work. And so I get home, and I don't record on my lunch breaks or before work or anything like that. I don't. I haven't had time. I get home I'm like yeah yeah after Leah goes to bed and. You know, uh, Angel and I get settled for night. I'll I'll just knock out the rest of this podcast. <sighs> Literally, three, four days later, here we are. So one thing I'm all about on hyphenation is always transparency. So this is where we're at right now. Now, last thing you heard me say was next topic, and our next topic is. Creed 2. Yes, I'm really going to talk about a movie that's been out for over a year. I finally finished watching the whole dang on thing. I already I knew the basics of it. I'd started it months ago once it went digital. But let me talk about Creed 2 a little bit. So Creed 2 is a sequel to, of course, the first Creed. Just in case you live under a rock. I love, 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 love the first Creed. I think it came out in November of 2015. Really, really liked that movie. And like Ryan Coogler, Michael B. Jordan, Sylvester Stallone, um, not to not to be left out. Um, wow. Oh, there she is. Tessa Thompson. That whole film was great from... From, uh, you know, Adonis's um, underground boxing roots to, you know, my man Wood Harris playing Tony, playing Little Duke and having actual boxers in the film um, playing roles and stuff like that. The story it told Felicia Rashad as as Adonis's mother. It just hit all the right beats for me. It's a perfect movie from start to finish. I loved it in the theater. I wanted to stand up and clap and everybody would have laughed. I mean, there's probably about... Ten of us in the theater, including Anthony and, and Thomas. And I love that movie. I was highly impressed. And it's been one of my favorite movies ever since. I was sad uh, Sylvester didn't get the Best Supporting Actor. He should have won it, in my opinion. The Cancer Storyline, 
was really good. I know there might be some issues now with how quickly did he recover from the cancer? And he had already scheduled to have this fight. And how far away was the fight? And blah, blah, blah. <coughs> Excuse me. No one said that Rocky was fully recovered from cancer. He was in, like, he was just in a better place. And honestly, I, I even think that in the first Creed, they weren't even sure if Rocky was going to make the trip. Because then, then they were they in England when they had that match? Or was that over in the States? I don't remember. But I was pretty sure Rocky wasn't going to make the trip. And so Donnie was surprised when he did. First film is perfect. The follow-up... Eh, that, that's the best I can say for it. It's, it's a perfectly fine film in the Rocky franchise. I'd say it's definitely better than Rocky V. Better than Rocky Balboa, which I really enjoyed Rocky Balboa. In fact, let's do the thing where we rank the Rocky movies. So, my number one Rocky film of all time. Oh, man. Number one Rocky film. The first one's the one that got all the accolades. Like, I believe... Uh, the first Rocky film, like, won Best Picture, or Stallone got Best Actor. Let's take a look at that. Let's do some podcast and one-on-one. I know that's what y'all are here for. Let us see. <clears throat> Went on to receive Academy Award nominations, winning three, <clears throat> excuse me, including Best Picture. Uh, so they did win the Best Picture. Let's see. Mm-mm-mm-mm. That's a release. I don't care about release. Plot, production, music, critical reception. Um, oh, here we go. Okay, so it was nominated for three awards at the Oscars. I'm sorry, it was nominated for 10 Oscars. It was uh, Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, Best Actress, Best Original Screenplay, Best Supporting Actor, Best Supporting Actor. Um, they had two Best Supporting Actor nods, Best Film Editing, Best Music, for and how Going to Fly Down did not win a freaking Oscar. I don't even want to know. Like, I'm, I'm curious to see, what well, that was 76? Let, let's say, Podcast 101 is finest, ladies and gentlemen. 76, who won the Best Oscar for 76? Music, 65, 76, almost there. 70, okay, here we go. <laughs> Ironically enough, A Star is Born. Uh, Evergreen was a song from Star is Born, sung by Barbara Streisand and Paul Lyrics said the, the lyrics. And it beat the Pink Panther Strikes Again, The Omen, Half a House, and Gonna Fly, Rocky. Um, actually, let me read these titles. I'm not reading the right thing. So, uh, Evergreen won A World That Never Was, Ave Satani. Come to me, gonna fly now. You light up my life. Or did you light up? Wait, did two of them win? Why are two of them highlighted? That's could there be a tie? No, I'm on a different line. Never mind. <laughs> so, yeah, gonna fly now. Should have won. That's crazy. And then the last one was for best sound. So they won for best picture, uh, they won for best director, and then they won for best film editing. So, you know. Rocky 1 is a very solid film all the way around. Rocky 2 is more satisfying because Rocky wins in the end. He beats Apollo. 
Rocky Three is just fun all the way around. You got Clubber Lang, you got Thunderlips, you got uh, Rocky and Apollo becoming friends, the epic running on the beach scene with them hugging in the water, the final third fight, which we finally found out in Creed One that uh, Rocky lost, making uh, making Apollo be the one who actually won all three of their fights, which I'm perfectly fine with. So for ra- ranking Rocky films, let's get back on track. I'm going to go with... (sighs) Rocky 1 is the best film. Followed closely by 3. And then I'm going to say... Creed 3rd. Then Rocky 4. And I know... Rocky stopped the Cold War and everything, but that, that was my first Rocky movie. Y'all gotta understand. Rocky and Ivan Drago. Of course, Drago kills Apollo in this film. Rocky didn't throw in the towel because Apollo told him not to. And, you you know, it, it's just, I really like Rocky Four, And then we'll come back and do Rocky Two, which I thought Rocky Two was really good. Um, I, I do enjoy it, but I just like Rocky Four and Creed better. Um, Apollo Creed, which is way better than had any business being, not Apollo Creed. Um, Rocky Balboa, which had any business being, had had no business being as good as it was. That's what I'm trying to say. And then Creed 2, and then Rocky 5. Yeah, Creed 2 is that low. It's the only movie it's better than is Rocky 5. So let me tell you the problems with this movie. Let me break it down. First off, Ryan Coogler didn't come back. I think at one point, I really thought Coogler was involved in at least executive producing or something. I don't see his name anywhere on here. This story was by... Or screenplay was by Jewel Taylor and Sylvester Stallone. Because immediately the first thing that... The first thing that Stallone did when they were going, when they announced they were going to they got greenlit to do the second one, first thing Stallone wanted to do was he wanted to write the script because Coogler and Aaron Covington did the first script. So it came out a long time ago. This episode was brought to you by uh, Brisk Baby, just some sweet tea. No, I'm a little dry. <coughs> so. Yes, yeah, so immediately as soon as the guy Greenlight hurts, Stallone was working on the script. Stallone's working on the script. And it was up in the air whether Coogler would return. Of course, Creed was Coogler's 2015 film. Um, I don't know what you I don't know what he did after that. I mean uh, does anybody know what Ryan Coogler did after he did uh Creed? Anybody? Anybody? Oh yeah, he did Black Panther! So yeah, he, he released Creed in 2015 and followed that up with Black Panther in 2018. So when they're when they're getting ready to do Creed 2, it was filmed in early, early 2018. Because um I'm a big fan of Michael B. Jordan. I follow him. I follow Kugler. And then Michael B. Jordan would say, oh, I'm getting Creed shape, blah, 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 blah. You know, there was some behind-the-scenes stuff. I started following the director who ended up taking over this film, which was Stephen Capel Jr. Um, I also followed Tessa Thompson. I followed Sylvester Stallone. So they shot this in early 2018, and it was actually released on 
November 14th, uh, 28 or November 21st, 2018. Oh, man. Let me tell you, man. <laughs> we're, we're just going to start at the top. I obviously Ron or not Ron Stephen Capel Jr. is not Coogler and that was a tough order to to replace Coogler is a world class director Capel is a capable director the fight sequences are fine uh, the movie is shot well there's nothing in there that made me feel like why did he do that you know nothing weird about that so I'm, I'm not going to blame this on editing or anything like this let's just talk about the performances and the story so, yes, Sylvester Stallone started on screenplay, and then I guess they brought in this Jewel Taylor to kind of punch it up. And I wonder if I could actually get some... Let's see. To Stallone... Let's see. Stallone was... Uh, Barbara Real, Ryan Cooler, not be returned to a scheduling product, uh, conflict because he's attached to Black Panther. Uh, Michael B. Jordan's uh, schedule ended up being the lakes of Black Panther. Uh, Stephen Capel. Yeah, so it doesn't say anything about when Stallone started writing this, but this Jewel Taylor came in and, and worked on the screenplay. So that's all enough for that. Michael B. Jordan, let's start at the top. Finally. Oh. I know... Like I said, it was filmed in 2018. I'm just going to take a quick look. And I say quick, but it ends up like being five minutes. Just a quick look to see what he was doing before Creed 2. So that must be film. Here we go. So yeah, he, he went from Creed, and then his next role that was released was Black Panther. And I think he did have something television-wise, wasn't he? Yeah, he was in Fahrenheit 451. That was just a um, TV film, a, a, tele, a television movie. I have raved and raved and raved and raved about how great Eric Killmonger um, is in Black Panther and how great Michael B. Jordan is. He literally steals the show from the moment he's he, he's chewing up all the scenery. He is the the he is. I, I'm just gonna say anybody else in the Killmonger role. I don't know if the film goes as well as it does. I mean, Chadwick Boseman with the Black Panther vibes. Shout out to Denai and uh, and, and and Zuri and and um, God, my mind sucks. <laughs> that other girl, Lupita. See, I knew I was gonna get it. Like, shout out to everybody else who was in that film. But that whole story was driven by the Killmonger plot, of course, and. He puts, I feel like Michael B. Jordan put so much into that story that that is what elevated the movie to another level, along with the other performances in the story and it being a Marvel movie and it just being so, such a, such a small scale MCU story without it being such a big picture movie. You know, they mentioned the White Wolf, but we don't see Bucky until after the credits and stuff. Everything's very self-contained in Black Panther. So that, that's one of the reasons it was so good. But Michael B. Jordan in this film, he comes on the screen mad. Like, in the first Creed, it came across that Donnie was mad, obviously. He's fighting at, um, fighting in the foster home, in the foster system, you know. 
having trouble there. Marianne comes in and rescues him. He's angry about not wanting to be Creed Jr. Essentially, gets in that fight at that club. That um, that um, what is her? See, jeez, what's in the name? That Bianca was performing at this in that little fight there. Gets mad at Rocky because Rocky doesn't want to fight the cancer. He just wants to be with Adrian. So he has a lot of anger, but he also displays range where it's like it's not just anger all the time, anger all the time. In this film, he's mad as hell. <laughs> the whole film. He, win, he wins the first fight and he takes the belt away from um, Stuntman Wheeler, who appeared in the first Creed. And he's the world heavyweight champion. He's like, oh, this night I'm going to propose. And he's so he's nervous about it. And the chemistry that him and Stallone had in the first film is not is barely there. They're, they literally feel like two actors on the screen. The first film felt like it was literally Rocky Balboa and Adonis Creed. This film feels like it's Michael B. Jordan, Sylvester Stallone with a little bit of their characters thrown in. Like... Adonis just has such a huge chip on his shoulder still. And the first film was about him getting over that chip, especially in that last fight, and finally becoming his own man and everything, and, and live and understand and come to grips with his father's legacy. All of that shit seems to be forgotten about by the time we get to this one. Like Rocky's trying to give him advice about proposing to Bianca. And he's like, I'm so nervous, I'm so nervous. And and like you see Bianca at the beginning of the film uh, during the fight and we'll talk about Bianca in a second but uh, she's like did you shit and it's like of course he had that, that funny moment in the first Creed where he's getting ready to have his first professional fight and he's like I got shit get these gloves off that was hilarious then but then the callback was like kind of poorly done you know it was kind of like hey remember this funny thing from Creed here it is again Ugh. he just seems so angry the whole film Spoilers, 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 in case you haven't seen a year-old movie. So, he proposes to Bianca. Uh, oddly, they really lean in a lot on Bianca's, um, her rapidly disappearing hearing. It's a big part of the storyline, and I gotta say, <clears throat> even it's a very big part of the film where it's like, oh, she's losing her hearing, she's losing her hearing, because she was losing her hearing in the first film, and she needed the hearing aids, but now it's gotten worse, is a thing. And little B Bianca and, and Adonis and Creed, they do still have their chemistry. Tessa and Michael B. still have their chemistry. But he's just so mad and angry, I just don't understand it. And so, he just carries this anger the whole film. And I said spoilers, Bianca becomes pregnant, Bianca has the baby, the baby can't hear either. So, and then he's just so mad at the baby, the baby can't hear. Now, the, one of the good scenes in this movie, though, and I'm skipping around, Bianca has to go to the studio, because of course she's a recording artist, I think she mentions to Marianne that she got, that she signed a deal and everything like that. Of course, she takes all time off to have the baby. So nine months later, also which coincides with Kree getting knocked the fuck out by baby drago in this film who let me shout out baby drago man he did not have a lot to do um let me see 
Who played Baby Drago? Wood Harris. Come on, Wood person sets up the match. Oh, here we go. Florian Big Nasty Montuno as Victor Drago. Ivan's son, who is a burly and ruthless boxer and also Don's new rival. Shout out to Big Nasty, man. He nailed Ivan Drago. Sorry, Victor Drago. He nailed it. He didn't have a lot to do. I I literally think he is a professional boxer or fighter who they got to do this film. He carried the weight on the world on his shoulders, and we're going to talk about the differences there. But back to the Creed thing. There's a cute scene. Like, Creed is recovering from his first fight with, uh, with Victor. He got knocked the fuck out, but Victor hits him late when he's down on a knee. So he gets disqualified and he loses the fight, even though Victor should have won. And I don't know why they just let Victor take that dub, man. Like, why do you have to have the... I know you want to have a reason for a rematch, but isn't it reason enough that Victor won that Creed would want to go back after his belt versus having Victor lose by disqualification and then Creed carry the belt around and have to build him himself up to this person who says he beat him the first time, but not really because of the rules. I didn't like that. But shout out to Big Nasty, man. But the scene I'm talking about is Adonis is home with the baby for the first time because Bianca goes to the studio and the baby starts crying. He calls his mom. She didn't pick up. And so he's literally trying to do everything to get this baby to stop crying. And the funny thing is, he's still mad the whole time. He's still got that mean look on his face. Like, oh, so mad. I'm Michael B. Jordan. I'm, I'm Creed. I'm mad. I'm mad. You know, here's my baby. My baby won't stop crying. And then he takes the, the baby girl to, uh, the, to uh, um, um, the gym, to the boxing gym. Sits her on the ring in her little carrier, and he's just so frustrated, and he's he lost to Victor, and things ain't going right. I think him and Rocky still aren't really talking right now because he's mad at Rocky because Rocky wouldn't train him during the uh, Drago fight because Rocky's like, uh, you don't fight Drago. There's no reason for you to. And then the whole thing about Creed is Creed's like, I got to avenge my father. And then Rocky's like, uh, no, you don't. I did that for you, son. Like, this isn't your fight. Like, you don't need to take this fight right now. Like, let's not jump head first into something just because this Victor Drago dude popped up. And Creed's like, I gotta avenge my father! Blah, blah, blah. So he starts hitting the heavy bag, and baby's still crying. But then, the, for some reason, the vibe, because of the baby's hearing, the vibrations from the bag, the, doo, 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 the rhythm and stuff, it calms down the baby and everything. Baby stops crying, they have a nice tender moment. That's one of the highlights in the movie. So let's fast forward a little bit, or uh, rewind back a little bit. So... Uh, Victor pops out of nowhere. You know, he's been, uh, he's coming from the underground similar to Adonis. He, except in fight, instead of fighting in Mexico, he's been fighting in Russia. Uh, Ivan Drago's in this film. You want to know somebody who brought it to this film? Dolph motherfucking Lundgren. Hell yeah, Dolph. That's what the fuck I'm talking about. Like, for him to be this robotic killing machine in Rocky Four, and then be this broken down human who lost everything all those years ago rocky four was what 85 80 i always want to say it's maybe it's 87 but for him to be let's see you know 85 for him to be that killing machine in the first film and then to come back all these years later and play that same character and you see the broken side of him and his performance is very good in this film because Ivan 
has just been driven his whole life by his father. It's like, you're going to be like me. You're going to be a great boxer. And we're going to, we're going to regain the love of the country. Cause obviously, uh, Ivan lost the love of the country because Rocky won over the Soviets in 18, in 1985, 1985. And he lost his wife and Brigitte Nielsen, who I have not seen since, uh, flavor of love or strange love, whatever the last time. Yeah. Strange love, strange love. I think or strange love was first. I haven't seen her in years. And I, I I have not followed her career since the flavor thing, celebrity thing ended with all of that. But she comes on, and I mean, she played his wife in the first film. And she's only in two scenes. She watches Ivan's match, um, Victor's match, uh, the second match against Creed. And then she shows up to some dinner, and then Victor, and like she left, literally left him alone with the kid. And because she's like part of the uh, Russian government, Russian family. I don't even know what to call her. Let me see if um they got anything for uh Ivan's ex-wife and Victor's mother who left the pair during the latter's infancy. Yeah, so she just she just peaced out and like, yeah, you know what? Here's this baby. I'ma go be with the rich rich people. You don't matter anymore, Ivan. So the 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 um Drago story is much more compelling than Adonis's and Rockies. So eventually <clears throat> Drago, uh, Ivan gets his match because this shady promoter props up. Uh, Buddy Marcel doing his best light Don King to get this match to happen. Of course, Creed takes it. He's like, I avenge my father. And then Victor beats his ass and it hits him late and gets disqualified. So Adonis is down about that. Rocky wouldn't train him. So we bring in my man, Avon Barksdale, better known as Wood Harris, who plays Tony Little Duke Evers, who was in the first film and was one of Wheeler's assistant trailers, uh, trainers. And, of course, his older father, Duke, was a father figure for Apollo, as well as his trainer slash manager, all of that stuff. He became one of Rocky's trainers after Apollo's death. His, he trains Adonis for the first match of Victor after Rocky refuses, acts as assistant trainer for the rematch. Wood Harris is great in this film. I, I, I can't remember the last thing I saw Wood Harris in that he was not good in. He's a great actor. He, he deserves... I know he's older now. Let's see how old Wood is. Wood, he's 50. He turned 50 in October. Let's get Wood some leading roles, man. Like, hasn't he done enough of his Hollywood black guy, mean guy, uh, friend... Hasn't he done enough to earn some lead roles? Besides, I mean, Avon Barksdale's a role of a lifetime, but he didn't know that at the time. And let's give Wood Harris some more roles, man. He was really good in this. Because, I mean, he tried to train uh, Adonis. And the thing about Adonis is he doesn't fucking listen. Like, even in the first fight, he was just so fueled by rage. And I want to beat up this guy's son because his dad killed my dad. And blah, 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 blah. And... Wood's like, yo, you're not sticking to the game plan, little Duke is. He's like, you you gotta do this, watch out for this, and it does. Like, I got it. <laughs> Getting pummeled. And I think at one point they even they even even uh threw played like uh, a little Duke was gonna throw in the towel, and I was like, don't you do that shit, bro. And then he he got knocked the fuck out. He got beat the fuck up in both of these fights. Baby Creed did. Baby Creed. That's what he got called in the first film. Don't hit me, Michael B. Jordan. But Michael B. Jordan just doesn't show a lot of range. Like, it's all anger, the whole film. There's a few smiles. Him and Tessa Thompson still have chemistry. 
but he's so angry the whole thing and even when he beats Victor and gets his belt back at the end and now there is a cool moment where he goes and visits Apollo's grave says a few words introduces him to his granddaughter and Bianca's there and that's kind of like the final their parting shots of the film that's really cool and plus we get to see Peter Petrelli Milo Ventimiglia come back come back is Rocky's son uh, he was in Apollo Creed or Apollo Creed Rocky Balboa and it was a really cool thing that that uh, Rocky and uh, his son Robert made peace for the first time and Rocky got to meet his grandson those character pieces were awesome but it sucks here at the end of the movie man but we end on Creed's story as alright we're back where we began at the end of Creed Adonis has exercised his demons he's ready to go on and not have the weight of the world on his shoulders and that, and that's where we're at <sighs> future oh my god <laughs> When asked about plans for Creed 3, Stallone stated he would like Deontay Wilder to play the son of Clubber Lang, to which Jordan agreed if a sequel was made. Oh my god! <laughs> July 2019 announced the Rocky franchise as a whole continue with another mentor student film, a la Creed. Um, Rocky Balboa would befriend a young fighter who's also undocumented immigrant. Ugh. Let's act like I didn't hear anything about that, so that sounds like this might be the last Creed movie for a while. Bianca. The cool thing about Bianca is she didn't need shit from Creed in the first one. She didn't need nothing from Donnie. I got my music. I know I'm losing my hearing. I'm cool with it. I'm from Philly. It's who I am. Take it or leave it. And in this film, they shove her into such an Adrian Balboa box. It's not even funny. At one point, I think during the, uh, the first Drago fight... She's even dressed similar to what Adrian would be wearing. Bianca's not Adrian. And the screen, the directors and the screenplay and the costumers, the screenplay writers, they forgot about that. Bianca was an independent as fuck woman before Donnie got in this and came into this, into her world. And now by the second film, you don't see a whole lot of, uh, of her getting to be independent. I know the story didn't call for it. It wasn't so much an origin story as the first Creed was. But she just doesn't get to be her own person. It's all about, I'm pregnant. I'm carrying his son. And we're doing this because I'm with Donnie. And we're going to go to this cheesesteak place in Philly where we had our first date. um, So that Donnie can find out that Victor challenged him because I'm with Adonis. It really took away from her character. So she didn't have a lot to do. She did not have a lot to do, but she made the most of what of the scenes that she had with Stallone and with uh, Harris and especially with Michael B. Jordan. So I don't put the blame entirely on her, but the script really put her in the Adrian box. And she wasn't so much like crying every like she wasn't as because Adrian, like every hit, like every time that Rocky would get punched, like she was getting punched. You know, it was like the end of her world. And that's one of the great things about that actress who played who played Rocky's wife, who played Adrian. But we don't need another Adrian. We need a Bianca. And this film forgot who Bianca was. So that's all I got to say about that. 
Um, I already talked about how good uh, Dolph Lundgren is as Yvonne. There's even the 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 another weird thing. <laughs> I swear this movie was written by wrestling bookers because the first first match between Creed and Drago, uh, it, it's a disqualification because uh, of the late blow to the face by Victor on Donnie. The second one, Creed is still getting his ass kicked. Still, and he's defending champion still. He never lost the belt, which he should have. But let's say they did that, uh, have Donnie be disqualified to keep him strong. Let's keep Creed strong in this film. Like, motherfucker, look at Michael B. Jordan. Doesn't he already look strong? Shit. Rocky lost the belt in Rocky III, didn't he? You didn't have Clubber, like, not went on some disqualification. It, it kind of makes the rest of the story fall flat, and that's what it does here. And then in the final fight, Creed starts mounting a comeback, and then Ivan throws a towel in to save Victor. Let Victor take that ass whooping. The level of fight, like level of fight on this one, and is nowhere near what Apollo, what Apollo got done to him by I, Ivan in the first film in Rocky Four. Nowhere near it. Okay. But, but the thing is, they want to show that, like, despite Ivan driving his son all these years to be this boxing machine, to be like him, the thing they want to show is they really wanted to come across that Ivan loves Victor, and he loves Victor so much that he will even risk, he will not even risk his son's life to ultimately see him hurt or lose this match. So it's a good character moment, but you throw in the towel, and then you don't know who wins, because Victor got the towel thrown in for him, so Creed wins. So now there has to be a third one, which you're probably never going to get. So they took away t the first match, Creed beat Wheeler. The second boxing match, Creed got his ass beat, Victor won, lost on disqualification for the late blow. The last match, Creed is still losing the fight, most of the fight, getting his ass killed again. He has a sudden flurry and a rally, and Ivan doesn't like, can't take what he sees anymore, and the love of his son overwins his, uh, his, his desire to, to win and have his son be world heavyweight champion, and then he throws in the towel. So we're robbed of two outcomes of fights because of the script called for it. <sighs> so that's disappointing. All right. Last person I want to talk about. Shout out to Felicia Rashad. She was great. She didn't have to do much, but the scene of her um, at dinner with Bianca and Adonis when she pretty much tells Bianca she's pregnant. Gold. And she was great in the first Creed. And then the last person I want to talk about. Oh, shout out to Andre Ward, his stuntman Wheeler. I wasn't sure if that was him, but it was him. I thought it was. Last person I want to talk about. Sylvester Stallone. Sylvester Stallone did not... Did not even come close to sniffing his performance from the first film. The first film, I got Adrian's and the restaurant owner. Oh, Creed's kid is here. You know, let me show you a couple things. You know, I don't plan on getting back into this. I've been burned before thinking about Tommy. I don't really want to get back into training dudes and stuff like that. Um, but, you know, the, the first Creed did a good job of building up their friendship and eventually their love for each other. 
And that's why Rocky decides to train him. And then when that Rocky gets that offer from the other professional fighter at that gym, he's like, oh, you know, I found I, uh, like a, he's like, oh, it'll be a good tune-up match for my guy who's ranked so-so in the division, you know. And Rocky's like, yeah, you know what? Let's try it. Why not? You know, let, let's see what you can do. I mean, you want to be a boxer? This is a fun fight. I mean, a fine fight. I mean, though, everybody go, like, he didn't disclose that he was a Don Creed son, but that's not what Donnie wanted. And then from there, it's like, oh, and now this other guy wants to fight you, the English dude who's going to prison. And Rocky was, the thing about this Rocky is when, when Donnie comes to him at Adrian's and they're loading it, and he's like, hey, I want to take this fight. And then Rocky's like, uh, I mean, you don't really have to, you know, I mean, it'd be a good payday or whatever, but I mean, you're still learning and this guy's a killer and you got to listen. And Donnie's like, all right, let's do it. And you get the great training montage in the first one. With the bikes and the running and the punching and the fighting and the, you know, all that cool shit the Rocky movies are known for. Known for. And Stallone just, as soon as he finds out about Victor, he's like, nope. And he did have a good scene with uh, Ivan coming to visit him, Adrian's, and I, Drago's sitting at the table and Rocky walks up. He's like, he's like, he's like, what are you doing here, essentially? And Drago's looking at the pictures of all the boxers over years, including himself and Apollo. I don't know if Clubber was up there, but, you know, just looking at the pictures, all these famous fighters. And he's like, I don't see my picture anywhere. And Rocky's like, you don't deserve to be up there. Because obviously we know Ivan was on roids too. Performance enhancers. And they have a little exchange and everything. And that's when Rocky finds out about Victor challenging uh adonis and things like that but he's like no no we're not going to take this fight no he killed your faja and michael b jordan like i know he killed my faja i want to avenge him <sighs> and then even the scenes i mentioned the the proposal scene where rocky just seemed he's like, oh you know he i didn't feel like i was watching rocky on screen i was watching sylvester sloan in this movie be an actor and I know he had on the Rocky garb, you know, the, the costume, the gear. But it just didn't feel like Rocky to me. Now, when Donnie's getting his ass kicked, the first Victor fight, Rocky turns it on and Adrian's is watching it. And that came across as Rocky watching his friend and loved one get the shit beat out of him. That that was good. And then he's like, oh, I'm going to go see Adonis and blah, 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 blah you know, and and then Adonis like, oh, now you here after I got my ass beat and I can't fucking breathe, blah, 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 blah. It's all your fault, Rocky. Rocky told you not to take the fucking fight. Now you want to be here? Get the fuck out of here. Kind of similar to like when Rocky um gets the cancer diagnosis and then they have that fight in the first one. But that worked because Adonis had been working so hard to get to this fight in the first film. He finds about cancer and then Rocky just wants to give up. And like the whole time... Rocky's been fighting for Adonis and then the minute that Rocky has the fight he doesn't want to so I can see the frustration there he's like we'll fight this together we'll get you done he's like I don't want to do that I don't know. I saw what it did to Adrian you know Holly Quinn, a.k.a. Dr. Harleen Quinzel, here to tell y'all about it's like a podcast or whatever. 
We talk about nerd stuff and life stuff. And if you want to know what we're about, check out the Powie Awards, our 100th episode, Q and Slay, or theater from our butts. Have a good day, puddins, and love, trust, and belief. It it just the scene at the end where he meets his grandson for the first time. That's really nice. I said the training scene, like that he the scenes that they're together in in the first in the like whenever you saw Rocky and Adonis together before a fight or during the fight in the first film, you really felt like you felt like they cared about each other. I didn't feel like they gave a shit about each other this whole movie. It just didn't have the same chemistry, man. And I don't know if it was just a screenplay or the way it was shot, but every time they were together in the first film, it felt like there was two people in the room who liked each other. Now it feels like two actors. <sighs> so I was I was highly disappointed with that. The baby plot. I don't like how quickly they jump to it's it's fine they want to get married yeah I mean that's the next na- next natural step but again if they didn't get married I'm afraid they would have forced in some oh we're gonna have an issue in the middle of the movie we're gonna break up and then Donnie might go get his DS by some girl you know and and then Bianca be mad and then they'll come back together after the fun- last fight or something I would have been cool with her just staying his girlfriend even if we had to have a marriage that's fine. They did a lot. They Spider-Man 3 a lot of their relationship. They're like, let's throw everything in here. It's like, we're going to get married. We're going to have a kid. And then on top of that, the kid's going to have hearing problems too. And they didn't need all that. So I, I think that covers all the performances I want to talk about. And I talked a lot, about, a lot about the story. So Too Long didn't listen. Creed 2 is fine. It's a good movie to have one while you're doing something else. You're not going to miss a thing. It has nothing on the first Creed. I will probably watch it again. Uh, MVP of the film, I'm going to go ahead and say, was uh, Dolph Lundgren. He was the MVP. Poor performance by Michael B. Jordan and Sylvester Stallone. Tessa Thompson did what she could. Shout out to Wood Harris. Brigitte Nelson, Nielsen. And anybody else? Uh, and Felicia Rashad, of course. And Big Nasty! Gotta shout out Big Nasty. So it's fun. I had my fears when uh, Kugler wasn't announced to be directing it again. So, And like I said, I don't know if there will be any more Creed's anytime soon. So let's do some podcast 101. Let's do Creed 3. Let's see if we got any news on the Creed 3 front. Two weeks ago, Michael B. Jordan sounds more than ready to direct the next Creed movie from Esquire. All right. Rest history inquires recent cover story featuring Michael B. Jordan, where the word is Star can make director review on Creed 3. Uh, seems like he'd be more than ready. May seem like a real, uh, real possibility. Meanwhile, Stallone said that Creed 2 was his last turn as Rocky Balboa, so it would be more than fitting. Oh, well, that's two weeks ago. So, oh my, we might, we might be in business for Creed 3 with Michael B. Jordan at the helm. 
I'd be willing to give him a shot. And that's good. I'm happy to hear that. That, that makes me feel better about Trash and Creed 2 so much. Um, also, it could have been the short shooting schedule because I, I literally mean, let me, uh, let me bounce back real quick. Uh, when was this movie filmed? Uh, movie was filmed, development writing, filming. Principal photography began March 2018 <laughs> and completed on June the 7th. So they, they literally shot this film in three months and it came out June, November. It came out five months later. So there you have it. Me And just to compare, just to compare, the first Creed began filming in January 19, 2015, and then filming finished on March 3rd, 2015. Alright, so they do turn around a movie in about three months. It's fine. <laughs> and that's funny, Creed took less time. January 19th and the last time I mentioned it and then on March 3rd there was some stuff there. Huh! Oh, wait. May There you go. May 20... No? Goodison would later host both the climactic fight between Donnie and Conlon and also Bellew's real-life title fight against... Okay. Now, I guess they're talking about the place they shot the final fight in Creed. So, yeah. They, they did the first Creed in three months. And they did the second Creed in... Three months. Okay. I was wrong about that. I know nothing about shooting a movie. But that actually went way longer than I thought it would. So, that's my thoughts on Creed 2. I'm not recommending it. If you watch it, you watch it. But there's no recommendation. Hyphen Nation is brought to you by Hyphen Podcast Group. A Morgantown, West Virginia-based podcast collective. Bringing great podcasts to the people. That's right. Hyphenpodcastgroup.com. You can find Hyphen Nation on all your favorite podcast listening platforms. Including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, Stitcher. Radio Public, which is what I use. Uh, you can also listen to podcasts on Google Podcasts, on Google Play Music, on um, you can listen to us on um, TuneIn. There, there's a whole bunch of places you can listen to Hyphenation. You can listen to Hyphenation on Luminary. If if you have a favorite podcast listening device, listening platform, and you can't find Hyphenation, please, please, please let me know. Oh, it's powered by Anchor too, so you can find it on Anchor. Please, please, please let me know. Um, Hyphen Nation or any of the great shows brought to you by hyphenpodcastgroup.com. I will do my best to get that show on there for your listening convenience. Okay? Uh, while you're there, make sure that you uh, co leave comments, any comments, bad comments, good comments. I'll read your comments and then we'll talk about your comments. I, I want to get, I'd love to get your feedback. Uh, rate us five stars if you're on Apple Podcasts. Shout out to everybody who took the time to listen this year, man. Like, it, this has been a, a good year so far, and I'm not done. I'm not done because I'm a couple episodes behind in December. You know, things have been happening, but we're making it happen. Making it happen, Cap'n. No worries. So, we'll get there. Gotta get a hold of Marcus.
But uh, also, if you want to just uh, subscribe, you never miss an episode on whatever platform you're listening to. And tell a friend to tell a friend about the Barack Obama World's Greatest Podcast and talk about it at the water cooler. That's, that's what you're supposed to do. The power of positivity is real. Get that negativity out of your life. No matter what it may be, no matter what you have to do, you got to do you. That's right. Try to have genuine interactions with people. Genuine, good interactions with people. You never know what the next woman or man is going through and your words could save someone or someone else's life. Always try to remember that. Keep that in the back of your head. You never know what they're going through, man. (sighs) Call your mom. Call your dad. Call your brother. Call your sister. Call your uncle. Call your aunt. Visit your your grandmother. Visit your grandfather. Call your godfather. Go see your godmother. Uh, Spend the time with your kids. Uh, tell them how much they mean to you. Tell your loved ones how much they mean to you. Tell your kids that they can do anything they want. The sky is the limit. Sky is the limit. You know you keep on. Just keep on pressing on. Sky is the limit. You know you can be. Have what you want. Be what you want. Um, yeah. Give people their flowers while they're still here. Because you never know when it's their time to go. When it's anyone's time to go. Doesn't matter. Give people their flowers. Let them know how much they mean to you while you still can. Please. You just never know. <sighs> can I still say apologies to Markel Fultz? You're still trash? Or should I say apologies to Markel Fultz? We ran out of time. I'm just going to start jacking Kimmel's shit. And then that way I'm not trash. I'm like, apologies to Markel Fultz. We ran out of time. And there's your origin story when we're on episode 248, and I'm still saying that. What else? Words of wisdom for today. Don't be a dick, okay? There's no reason to comment on a situation that has nothing to do with you When you know the person that is dealing with that situation is going through that situation. Okay, so I don't know. It's not like you would be behind somebody at a convenience store and, you know, they go to pay for their stuff. And, and it's like, oh, uh, it, it's going to be uh, seventeen fifty, And they pull out their money and like, oh, I only got 10. And it's like, you know. Or actually, like, oh, you know what? I, I don't have enough money for this stuff, period, you know? And you see them go have to put some things back. Like, actually, I won't take those. I won't take those or anything. I'm just going to get this. Um, Sorry, you know. That's highly embarrassing for that person already. Now, you wouldn't want them to step away from the counter and then say, I don't know, stop to look at something by the doors before they leave. And then you look at the cashier and be like, I got my money. I have plenty of money to pay for what I need. Don't be a dick. Words of wisdom for today. Ah, man. Like I said already, it's been a hell of a year here at Hyphen Nation and Hyphen Podcast Group. Shout out to everybody who I work with podcast-wise. All the friends I've made over the past year, all the new associates. Shout out to the Alapal family. Shout out to Marcus and Lamb and Maps and, and Bain and, you know, and Louie. And Anthony and Bobby Stamps. Shout out to you, Bobby Stamps. Bobby Stamps is is kicking ass since soon as he figured out his uh his uh recording issue. 
And he sent me. I'm at the Christmas party last night. He sent me a uh, audio. He's like, "You going to get be able to get this up?" And it's like, he's like, it's it's conference championship shit." And it's like Friday Friday evening at like eight o'clock. I'm at a Christmas party. And like, I got you, Bobby. And I was literally at my computer last night. It's like eleven something, nodding out while I'm trying to post this shit, man. And I'm a, that's not Bobby's fault. But that's part of being. That's what hyphen podcast group does. We get shit done. Bobby wanted that shit out for this morning. It's out for the conference championship games. And I'm proud to say I did it. So shout out to you, Bobby. Shout out for putting in the work, man. Bobby could be like, yeah, fuck it. You know, I'll come back on Monday and then we'll re- recap everything. He's like, no. No, you know, I want to talk about this shit before it happens. Can you? And he's like, and then he hits me. Now it's my job to make sure it happens. And I made it happen. Go listen to the stamp of approval with Bobby Stamps. Shout out to all my listeners, man. I appreciate every one of y'all. Shout out to all y'all who listen to B-Hyphen on Spotify. What's wrong with y'all? I haven't had a new song since uh, The Ballad of Dusty Rhodes. Wasn't that like two years ago, a year ago, something like that? And that was a Jordan Clan song featuring me. There's been no B-Hyphen music since 2014 officially. I know I put up some of the old catalog, like some of the, uh, the original stuff from like Spideyville Unlimited and Mine's Mixtape 4. But shout out to all y'all who press play, man. I get down about numbers a lot. And Marcus is always like, oh, you, oh, you fuck the numbers, man. Just do, do your damn show. The people, if you build it, you will, they will come. And he was like, if you love podcasting, you should do it. I'm like, I love podcasting. If I wanted to talk to myself, I would just do that, you know? But thank you to every single one of y'all that listen to me. I really appreciate it. It means the world to me. It truly does. And I say all that to say this. Thanks, y'all. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and comment. This has been a Hyphen Podcast Network production. They're the bestest. I'm getting paid at exposure.